Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. This Sunday is the first Sunday in Lent, and we hear from the Reverend Phil Brouchard as he preaches from the lectionary, which was Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. As always, you can find more information about All Souls or more sermons on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. passage asks us two simple but essential questions this morning. Who are you? And then knowing this, how are you going to live? Who are you? And how are you going to live? Today we find Jesus in the wilderness, far from the crowds, that he'd gathered with by the River Jordan, and he's deep in the wilds, and we're told, full of the Holy Spirit. And it's here, in the wilds, on his own, far from home, that he hears those words. If you are the Son of God, You are the Son of God. It wasn't that long ago that we were here in this space. <laughs> and like Jesus, we heard that voice from the heavens declare, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And yet here Jesus is, starving in the wilderness, all by himself. Tempted at every turn. And I have to believe he's wondering. Who am I to be? What am I supposed to do? It's after days and days and days of fasting, we're told. And Jesus is starving. It's that the kind of hunger that gnaws at your every thought, that pesters you until all you can think about is food. Now, uh, before we go too much further, I want to pause here. Because Jesus being famished is actually an important theological statement. That Jesus had a real body. And that it was through his body... Not in spite of his body, not outside of his body, but it was through his body that Jesus learned who he was and who he wasn't gives me hope for our bodies. And so, it's after a long, long time without food or companion that he hears that soft, insistent whisper. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to be a loaf of bread. There are those kinds of temptations in life that, um, that can so easily shift the ground beneath your feet that you don't even realize it. Notice that the tempter doesn't try to deny who Jesus is. 
He just tries to draw him off course, to have him settle for something that is almost as good. This is the way the tempter works with us. It doesn't deny that we are children of God. It just shifts our perception in a different direction. And it's not that Jesus doesn't have this kind of power. Later on in the good news, according to Luke, Jesus seems to create an endless supply of bread so that he can feed hungry people. He absolutely could have filled his belly, could have set aside his hunger and his vulnerability and been secure in his fullness. But the test here is about what Jesus would use his power for. In life, sometimes it's not a question of whether we can do something, but instead whether we should. And especially for those of us who benefit from significant tailwinds in this life, and here I'm putting myself at the front of the ship, this test is critical in reminding us of where our security ultimately rests, which is not in our own power, but instead with God. But I believe that when Jesus looked down and saw the stone in front of him, I believe that there was a deep and profound pause. It's not a temptation if it's not tempting. And so I wonder how long it took for Jesus to reply. But in the end, this time, like every time the tempter tries to shift the ground from around Jesus' feet, Jesus reaches back to a foundational story, to the book of Deuteronomy, each time he does this, in order to find his footing. In this case, he reaches back to the story of the Israelites when they trusted in God's providence rather than bread, they receive manna, which is enough to live on day by day. What are the things that you know you can do? But for the good of those around you, for your own good, it would be best to set aside. Where in your life can you more fully trust in the security of God? And then without warning, Jesus is up on high and in front of him are all the kingdoms of the world. And that voice, that voice is in his ear again and it is tugging at his heart. This could be yours been given to me, I could give it to you. Just imagine what you could do with it. All the good. All you have to do is worship me. 
again, I have to believe that this vision came with a visceral feeling in Jesus' body. This time, um, the thrill and rush of being in control. Able to bend others to his will. Now, it's not that Jesus won't have power. He has all kinds of power. Just after this scene with the tester, Luke's gospel says that Jesus leaves the wilderness full of power. And throughout the gospels, people are consistently amazed at the power that just seems to to course through his body. That's not the question. The question is about what kind of power he will be willing to use and to what end. This test of Jesus is about coercive power. The choice, the ability to author a world in which we are in charge and what we are willing to give up to worship in that process. For inevitably, the worlds that we make are not in the image of God. And we end up destroying other people as we try to create them or to recreate them in our own image to serve our own needs. Whether that distorted image is of race or of gender or of nation. And as we worship here today, I cannot help but see the people of Ukraine who have become pawns in one man's distorted and cruel vision from on high and his attempt to shell them into submission. And still, we would be foolish to assume that this temptation to bend others to our vision of the world were simply a temptation for rulers of nations. Or just for the people with the power of a gun behind them. Friends, we all face this test. Sometimes it's when we choose to remake our children in our own image or our friends, or the world around us in our own image and not in the likeness of the one who is light and love. And so I wonder, where in your life can you more fully trust in the power of God, allowing yourself to choose vulnerability over control? Next, Jesus finds himself clinging to the the pinnacle of the temple overlooking all of Jerusalem. And I can very easily imagine the cold sweat on his hands and his feet as he looks down from this dizzying height and into that first step into nothingness. And above the noise of the buffeting winds, he hears that voice again. You know that you can throw yourself off. God has to keep you safe if you're God's son. 
And again, I imagine a long pause. Because the tempter knows his scripture. And it is, it is so tempting. Because he knows how to make Jesus question himself. And this one might actually be the hardest temptation to hear. Because we know what's coming. And Jesus likely does as well. Right, he will suffer. He will feel pain. And who wouldn't want to be certain of their future and be able to command God? But once again, Jesus recovers his footing and remembers the way that the Israelites tested God in the desert, demanding water from the rock. And he responds to not put God to the test. And so I wonder, where in your life can you replace certainty with trust rather than only looking to God when in need? And with that, the tempter is gone. But not forever. Because the tempter always returns. And often when we are least ready, uh, because uh, in Luke's gospel, by an opportune time, the gospel does not mean when Jesus is at his strongest or when things are going the way he wants. You know, every year as we approach this great mystery, we hear this story of the temptations in the wilderness because these tests will return. We will feel the ground shift beneath our feet. We will find ourselves yearning for security and control and certainty. But every year, we tell this story to remember that though this life is full of hunger and longing and risk, there is a path ahead of us not formed by escape or control, but by the willingness to trust. And it is in that trust that we, like Jesus, will find the power of God. Thank you.